It's 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sansbury. So, Ian, here we are, 11th of October. God, it's nearly halfway through October. Where is the year going? Slipping away, old chum. Slipping away. Slip sliding away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it the nearer we get to the destination, the more? No. Is that Paul Simon? Well, it it is. It's, It's a Simon and Garfunkel song, isn't it? Yeah, um, which don't worry, listeners, I'm not going to sing. This is excellent news. Which is, which is good news. How's your week been, chum? Um, d- d- more, more of the same, really. Um, ah. ap- you know, um, applications, no injuries, no, um, no success, um, no um, joyous singing or screaming, much to my neighbours' delights, I guess. But yeah, not spicy too old, spicy old week in politics, though, aren't there? What was the what was the nature of the the, the spice to which you refer? The old is it Aquitaine cable coming abroad? Coming? Are oh, the Aquind, on, the yeah. Aquind interconnector? Um, yeah, that's yeah, um, yeah. There was some um, uh, community organ the community group Cute. let's stop aquind organized a um a protest on saturday um uh, which is great i've seen some excellent drone shots of that um yeah. so um good to see loads of people out there um socially distancing um but registering their physically their um their disagreement with um with aquind wanting to basically tear a line up up the up through the yeah. you know the second most densely populated city in the country um and if we look at it as a tale of two protests, that was uh, very well received and very well supported. And um, the Lib Dems and the Conservatives uh, working together. And I think the, the, the Labour guys are in the same place. Um, and then you compare that. Did you see the old uh, QAnon protest in the week? Uh, no, I did. What's the... Uh, the QAnon, they're all off their ends. But, well, yeah, uh, yeah, they, I they did, were yeah gonna, there's a... There's a certain amount. I mean, yeah, they were going to. They had, yep. Go on. They, they held a they held a protest in in Portsmouth. Not not enough of them to make up a rugby league team. Oh, did they? Well, I completely yeah. missed that. Yeah. Considering my usually um, forensic attention to social media, I've I've utterly missed that. So um, I feel like I've been left left out, left out. So, yep. um, so that's um, well, that's to, you know, that's that's a shame. Well, I, I'm sorry that that um, that didn't work for them. But to be fair, um, didn't they do? Ooh, were they not the ones that the did best. a couple of weeks ago with um, Piers Corbyn, or is that something different? Well, I think I think it's I think it's the same bag of lunatic licorice, all sorts. I think I think you'll find a bit of pick and mix in both of them. But I, I think they're uh, I think they're. they're they were part of a wider sect, weren't they? I do hope he gets fined hideously. Um, um, so, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, to be honest, Ian, I really do wish that you'd come off the fence on this one and actually have yeah, an opinion. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty clear on, on these people. At the end of the day, it's in- interesting, isn't it? Uh, and oh, we haven't spoken about on this day. We're going to talk about. Well, it might have been yesterday. Uh, was the something of Edward Jenner 
you know, probably saved more millions lives than anybody else with this infection, you know, is uh, invention of vaccines and the eradication of smallpox. And bless them, the absolute mutton heads on the internet, anti-vaxxers, will probably take as many million lives by convincing people that their absolute drooling lunacy of chips in people is uh, it is all behind it. So, yes, yeah, no, good to see they were oh. largely ignored. And uh, yeah, so lots going on. Well, there we go. Just um, I haven't quite got into the ch into the chat window yet because of the way that Facebook's reorganised itself in a combination of me probably testing our in my internet connection to the limit anyway. Um, but um, yeah, I'm I'm just minded to remember that if if supposedly Bill Gates is chipping us um, in order to control us, then everything Bill Gates has ever released requires an update in about nine months' yeah. time. Yeah. Um, or crashes um so i don't know that that really works because if we're being if we're all being chipped we'll have to be keep being chipped every nine months surely yeah um, a bit of an update or plugging yourself in or no they'll, they'll control the chips by 5g won't they like, oh that's what the 5g's for yeah wi right. wireless remote update mate uh over the air updates are you, not, I believe are, you are you not on the lizard people circular mate um no no oh, well, no i i'm I'm not. I'm. I'm definitely not on the lizard people circular. Um, but I'm just going to sit here under my heat lamp and lick my eyes and walk off and yeah. scurry across to sit uh. under a different rock. Um, okay. So uh, yes, it's. Um, it's been the week that it's been. We've got next week. We've got the full council meeting uh, coming yep. up, um, which was on, is on Tuesday the thirteenth. So we'll briefly talk about what's on the agenda there before we get to our guest today. And our guest today is um, is Pompey Politics Podcast um, fresh guest debutant debutant yeah, debutant sounds better, um, which is uh, Councillor Darren Sanders. Um, so he'll be joining us uh, shortly. But before we do that, without further ado. Should we talk about the past? Yes, on this day. <laughs> Let's talk about the past. On this day. We need like a jingle or something. Yeah. We need, we need a jingle. Listeners, if anyone wants to write a jingle for on this day, you're welcome. But you don't ask for any money because we haven't got any. Um, okay, so on this day, um, there's a bit of a theme here which, I, which, I've, um, which I've pinned to, which hopefully will be really transparent. And it will be a developing theme. 1881, David Houston patents fi roll film for cameras. Yeah, that's... Uh... 1982, the Mary Rose, which sank during an engagement with France in 1545. So just remember that when we're talking about engagements with France. Um, raised, um, was raised obviously off the coast of Portsmouth. I remember going down to see that. See, you know, the yeah, big I'll... yellow kind of lattice of construction that they were using to bring it up out of the water. It was all very yeah, exciting. No, very poignant. It would have been my mum's birthday today, and I remember them uh, heaving that up on her birthday. And do you remember the bit where one of the bolts broke? Yes. Made that terrible clank. And it dropped. Everyone was like, oh, hello. Was that where they nearly had swearing uh, on Blue Peter? Or they probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so in um, 1986, Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev opened talks at a summit in Reykjavik in Iceland. So it's not only mums that go to Iceland. Yeah. Um, the talks. Um, you know, didn't kind of um, really get anywhere, but they're about basically um, arms control. Um, but they collapsed. Um, but there was, oh, but I, there was significant. I learned, something, I learned something about Ronald Reagan this week. Yeah, which I didn't know. Oh, you know when he got shot, right? His wife, Kasim, said, "Oh, God, she was obviously panicking." And he said, "Sorry, 
I forgot to duck. <laughs> yes, his first words to it. Yes, um, I like I like a man with a sense of humor. Yeah, that's, 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 it's a that's a bit of class. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, it was interesting that you know Reagan was from a background where he considered Russia basically pretty much to be a rogue state, and um, Gorbachev obviously you know not really trusting of America, um, but being you know the man that brought Russia perestroika. Um, so uh, yeah, um, it was an important uh, agreement in the reduction of Cold War tensions between the US and the USSR. So old enemies became new tentative friends perhaps um obviously we might have perhaps swung back the other way depending on how big your checkbook is um these days and then the other thing that i that i um i found with my exhaustive research 2001 the polaroid corporation files for federal bankruptcy protection yeah that's the old film isn't it so yeah you see you see what i did there you know yeah what? no at one point the old eastman kodak mm mm-hmm. Used seventy percent of the world's silver. Wow, that's um, that's a lot. That's a lot of silver. Mm. Mm. And then another films, things that have been killed by films. James Bond, apparently. Yes, well, that's done for the old um, cinema. And I have to say, it doesn't surprise me. I, I went out. Um, it would have been last Saturday of the week before. Bill and Ted's most bodacious money spinning. Got to pay the mortgage somehow reboot thing um so we went to gunwolf saturday afternoon and anyway, i know it's not a blockbuster but it was myself and little noah and two other people in the mid-afternoon screening so it doesn't surprise me that um it wasn't know, with no new blockbusters coming through they're having to well it's, it's a shame because i mean with theatres um, both for film and, you know, obviously a, a stage performance theatres, you're booking a seat. So surely from a social distance perspective, even if you're drastically reducing your overall capacity, mm. you've got the facility. Someone could write an algorithm, just not Gavin Williams. Oh, yeah, no. and, and um, to, 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 to kind of make that work, surely. Yeah, no, to be fair, they, they had the that, demand, all that in place. They had the, all that in place. Yeah. That was absolutely super. You know, they, they had everything in place, but people have just floated with their feet and said, well, that's not a place I'm going to go. Well, that's something we don't want to happen in May's elections. We don't want people to vote with their feet. We'd rather they actually put a pencil mark on a ballot paper yes. than voted with their feet. Yeah, um, But but there we go. Um, I'm still clicking away in the background here, trying to get into the uh, trying to get into the comment section. Um, but um, yeah, so <laughs> Scott paid to Harris's comment. <laughs> he's, he's saying to sing it. Um, no, Scott, you, you don't want me to. I know you're trying to. You know that might wreck any chances of um you know winning an election for me ever is you know singing in public or at least on the a podcast with other people listening yeah i mean the other thing that could help me win an election is to become a conservative <laughs> yeah but that would require me selling my soul wouldn't it uh only if you've got one yeah well you said it <laughs> um so <laughs> on that on that bombshell <laughs> so um so We've got our guests sitting in the green room um, with his tea and biscuits, virtually provided, of course, because we can't provide them socially distanced. Um, so next week's uh, full council meeting. So a mm. couple of things going as the usual sort of shenanigans going on, but a couple of things that are worthy of note. And I'm literally just going to rattle them off rather than discuss them in detail. So um, there'll be... Um, do, 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 um, a revision to um, the standing orders... Um, so that um, 
notices of motion so that's motions put forward whether that's um so um for to be discussed at council will all all notices of motion will automatically be discussed rather than going to a vote as to whether they get you know or being considered as to whether they yep. they get discussed so that you know that's quite good from a transparency perspective um the there's a treasury treasury outrun report which to be honest with you i looked at and my brain leaked out of my ears and i wish that terry i'm um, sorry that was the other thing jerry um, we were hoping Jerry Brown was Jerry Inquisitor Brown was going to join us today to speak to Darren, but unfortunately he wasn't able to. So maybe that's a subject for us to pick up at another time with yeah. Jerry. Yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll let him do the research. Yeah, we'll, we'll let him. Well, I mean, we can look at it, but to be really honest with you, we we won't know what we're talking about. Um, but some of the notices of motions were about either the pyramids or about Hampshire Fire and Rescue, uh, about the landlords selective licensing scheme suggested by uh, by the Labour Party that um, didn't pass through um, earlier in the year. So there's like a, a follow-up motion from them regarding to that. Um, there's a motion from the Conservatives about um, classifying Eastern Parade as an A-road. Um, and uh, there's also a motion about um, the council agree to ask the council to agree to become a Sunflower Council. So recognising um, hidden disabilities, which, to be honest, seems eminently sensible, and why the hell do you know? Is that not already a thing? Um, so those are the things. But the the other thing that I was boiling up to to lead us this way was um, the other thing coming up for um, for council was the um, Leamington House and Horatia House update. So these were the two tower blocks in um, in the heart of the city that um, that were vacated. Um, and the council is now planning to tear down piece by piece in order to rebuild them and put more homes back into the area. So that kind of gives us, and if only we had someone standing by that could speak with, you know, um, real expertise about the housing portfolio. Do we have anyone like that? Drag him in. Let's, let's bring in the Darren. Well, I've hit admit. I have admitted the Darren. Darren. Hello. Are you there, Darren? We can see you. Don't know if you can hear us, but we can't hear you. Oh, oh it's that thing called the mute button. That's oh, marvellous. OK, well, there we go. So I don't know. I don't know if you were you were following our kind of intro. We briefly skimmed through some highlights of the agenda. Some of which you actually kind of come, <laughs> yeah. Some of which come in your direction anyway. So we'll kind of cover them with our questions. But thank you for agreeing okay. to come onto the show. Yep, no trouble. Uh, um, so I, I guess the nice place to start is Darren. Why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, good grief. Okay, uh, my name is Darren Sanders. Um, I'm the cabinet member for housing and preventing homelessness at Portsmouth City Council. Uh, I've been the cabinet member for housing twice. Uh, between 2013 and 2014 and from 2018 onwards. Um, uh, preventing homelessness was added to my title in the summer to, to indicate an idea of how important we think it is. Um, I am from Portsmouth, so I have the passport. Um, I was brought up in council accommodation in Lamport, Fratton and Somerstown. Um, my mum still lives in council accommodation in Somerstown. Uh, went to what I know as George Street School, and everyone else now calls it Newbridge, but I'm old. Um, and then went to St. John's College, uh, lived in London for a while, uh, came back here. Um, I've been a councillor for Baffins, North Milton and South Copner since 2012. Don't know if that's enough for either of you. 
North Copner, is that a particular? Sorry, South Copner, I should say. South Copner. Or the bit near Copner Bridge. Okay. Ah, the, these, in, the railway these interesting geopolitical designations that different residents give their areas that um, I, I, those are endearing. Well, um, the, the ward itself is called Baffins, but everybody who lives in Milton thinks they live in Milton, and everybody who lives in Copner thinks they live in Copner, and they hate being called Baffins. So it's best to be honest. Indeed, it's best to be honest is a is a good um, it's good um, catch line. So we're gonna we're gonna keep you to that one. Okay. So. So welcome, Darren. Good so, evening, uh, Mr. Tiny. Yes, indeed, indeed. So I, I get the job of asking you the, the pointy leading question, which is Never. that... Yeah, no, no, uh, so Simon's too nice. You know what Simon's uh, Yeah, so, I've heard, yes, no, yes. We're just taking it in turns. That's the logical thing to do. Yeah. I, I guess my first question is that, that you know, when you look at Leamington and Horatio House, you know, it would be fair to say that the... Portsmouth Council has not been awash with council houses. And at the time, for me, it, it always looked a strange decision to empty those two blocks out. You know, again, reading around the subject, something to do with the risk of a gas explosion. You know, did that really need to happen? Or was that kind of an overreaction in the light of the Grenfell tragedy? Well, I think the first thing of a landlord is to put residents safety first. So that's got to be the first thing. Yeah. Bear in mind that um, this is this is really difficult for me in some respects because my mum lived in one of those blocks and had mm. lived there for 14 years, 13 years, I should say, before she was moved out. So, and I know people in there. I knew people. I know people in there. Um, and I was expecting when we resumed control in 2018, essentially to try and find the money to get the cladding back because the Conservatives had take rightly removed all the cladding without knowing if the money was ever going to come back. The right thing to do. But when I was told of the situation, so for instance, in Leamington House, the idea was if there was a, an oxygen cylinder exploded on, say, the 17th floor, the 17th yeah. floor would collapse onto the 16th floor, which would collapse onto the 15th floor and the 14th and so on. So that block would just go down like a house of cards with people yeah. in it. Um, but... I know our conservative colleagues think that it's an overreaction, and I understand that. Um, I asked all the questions they asked. Could we get a second opinion? Uh, only to be told, essentially, you'd have to go back to the people who gave you the first opinion because they were the only people who could tell you. Is this an overreaction? People, I know that you weren't supposed to have these oxygen canisters in the block, but mm. we found them. Um, for months, we were told, look, they're never there, but we found them in there. Um, and I think putting residents safety first is, is the first real key thing of a landlord. And also on a personal level, I have to explain to my mother why mm. she has to go. Um, I wouldn't exactly do that on a whim because, I mean, before before we took this decision, we were talking about what to do at Christmas in that flat. And I'd spent 14 Christmases in that flat. I was mm. spending going around every week. I know people in there. Um, and it's an incredibly difficult decision. I wouldn't have taken that decision if I couldn't defend it, not just to the people I knew, but to my own mum. And mm. that's why when I hear some people who are less polite than you are, Ian, going, you don't care. Um, I care maybe a bit more than most. Yeah, no, I think that there's an element, Darren, of this, which is that, you know, as with any risk-based decision, isn't it? There's an element of, you know, 
the risk looks minimal until it happens. And then, it, you know, the, the danger is that everybody's wise after the event. And I Correct. think that, you know, this is, you know, it, it's never, a, it's never an easy thing when you look at it and, and, you know, as you say, you know, there, there wasn't supposed to be bottled gas in there. It was a condition of tenancy. I understand that you weren't allowed to bring it in. Yeah. I mean, they were on the signs by the lifts on every single floor. I know, because I went there every week. Mm. So yeah. I could see all the signs. And it was a real surprise when we actually found them in there. Um, and a shock to me. Is that one way of describing Sorry, it? Yeah. Sorry? Is that when you say it was a real surprise, was there, I can imagine there, what the bleeping hell is that doing here? Is that kind of the... Um, I, I, was, I was less polite than you were, Simon. Yeah, in my response so, to that decision taken. Um, so you've now got two empty tower blocks. Um, what happens next with them? Well, um, the cabinet has already approved to essentially load what's called the housing revenue account, which is the money that deals with all this sort of stuff with 10 million pounds to deconstruct the blocks floor by floor. Mm. What we are asking uh, my council colleagues to do on Tuesday essentially is to give the approval to borrow. 120 million pounds to do them up in a way that local people want um, local people have already given us seven principles for, for what comes next and we want to mm. honor those um, that way we can then produce we have a scheme that is viable that's absolutely crucial because unlike governments council can't councils can't go into debt yeah. so if we borrow money we've got to pay it back um, we've got a scheme that's viable. We've got interest from Homes England, which would be really great. And we want to try and get, uh, get Cap, my council colleagues to approve essentially a borrowing ceiling, which will allow us to work on the viable scheme with local people and interested parties in the hope that we can get the figures down, not just in terms of demolition, but also in terms of things like getting rents down, making the site as green as possible. But to do that, we have to approve a borrowing ceiling um, and that's what I'm asking council colleagues to do on Tuesday. Uh, that's to provide the scheme that provide 440 homes, briefly, and that is impressive. Um, we've got to that we have no fewer council homes now than we did at the start. You're upside down, Ian. Yes, I am upside down. Unfortunately, that is that is one of the um, that is one of the joys of owning a large golden retriever that, that they ah okay failed, you, failed you to, had dog problems okay yes so they failed to respect the uh, the, the very sensible the integrity of the podcast but as, as long as indeed so, very sensible as long as, as, long so, as he doesn't try to do what the cat normally does which is walk in front of the keyboard yeah that that could that could happen later so it, it's interesting though if we can just touch on those seven principles darren because you know i, I don't want to you know in no way wish to be disrespectful to 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 the people of summer's town but it that is an area which perhaps didn't have the greatest reputation within the city, and you know it would seem to me that that whatever you build back has to be better than what was there before. And so oh, I'm just yeah. interest, interested oh. in what those those principles are. Okay, so no tower. Blo- um, I'll give you three straight off. No tower blocks. So no return to seventeen-story tower blocks. Good use of green space what they call appropriate housing, so that's homes people can afford, uh, making sure there's adequate parking, 
all that's four of the principles straight off. Mm. Um, the rest are in the the rest are in the cabinet. Pool. But you're absolutely right. And the people who live there want a better want want the place to be better as well. I mean, you're being mm. very polite about Somerstown's reputation. I've got to say, um, this is the place that, according to the news, fewest people in the city want to go to. Now, to me, that's wrong because there are many great people in there. There's some rough people there, just as there are everywhere in every city. But there are many great people there. And I want to be a, it, it to be a place people go to. I certainly want it to be better than it is mm. at the moment. Um, I mean, with these two tower blocks, bear in mind, people in Horatia House, which used to be called Solihull House, had to leave the block 15 years ago because of work that went on there. So it's not as if this is new. Mm. I want to make sure we have homes that last, homes people can afford, homes that are green. And as someone once said, building back better, I think is the cliche. It's a great phrase and you should use it often. And in fact, I can sort you out with a T-shirt. I've nicked it from Joe Biden. He nicked it. He nicked everything else from everyone else. So I nicked yeah, it I was, from him. I think I think Ian is th- is thinking that build back better is a conservative message. It isn't, by the way. It's it's not actually something uh, that originated from the Conservative Party. Simon, Simon, I'll go with whoever owns the patent. Yeah, I don't care. Know, at the, at the end of the day, um, it's it's not copywritten like Boris is a dinlo. Um, so oh, oh you you got money on that have you Simon? Excellent. No, that's abso- good. absolutely right, okay. not. Um, I I couldn't claim to that, but um, but uh, yeah. So yeah, that's um, it's an interesting one. So it's a it's quite a brave development, but there's a lot of lot of sound commitments there about building back something that's going to be relevant for the area that isn't actually high rise blocks that is um you know that's a uh, perhaps a more measured use of of the space, but also committing to at at the least the same number of social housing as there is at the moment. Mm. Is that you yeah, know, absolutely. I mean, we can't we we can't afford to have fewer council houses at the end of this project than we had at the start. And the other thing that's really important is that I know from talking to people in Summerstown and growing up there that they've had lots of things done to them, usually mm. by middle class people who ain't got a clue what it's like to live there. Um, and and I think we we have to involve local people much more than has been the case in the past, because that way you'll have a proper community. And that's one of the things that I've been banging on about to everybody involved for about 18 months now. That's an interesting point, Darren, because obviously, you know, uh, the, the, the community, by the nature of having to, to empty those two tower blocks, have now been dispersed. Are there any plans, you know, are, are they how can I word this, are they in a temporary dispersal situation or, or do they have the option to come back to, to whatever the new thing is? It's it's somewhere in the middle, actually. So they've been permanently rehoused and, and many of the people I know on the block were desperate to leave, frankly. Um, I remember being there on the day we told everybody and we had people are going, well, can I go to Lee Park, please? Can I have a home, please? So we know many people wanted to leave. Um, but we made commitments right at the start around people coming back if they wanted to come back. Bear in mind, you're looking at things like four, five, six years down the line from mm. when they left. So they may have found their own communities. They may have found their own homes. But we made commitments around that right at the start. And I'm very keen that we honour those. It's um, some really good points there. Just to interject some of the comments that we're getting um, in in the live chat. So we've got, um, we've got Lee Hunt saying about... Um, Build, it's important to build out um, crime 
um, when yep, it's absolutely. really redeveloped. Yep. Um, and Sai Bunting, so pre- a previous uh, previous guest on the show, um, is asking, would it be possible to meet passive house standards? So that's housing where they um, then actually you explain it because I'm probably going to mess that up. <laughs> you can mess it up all you like. I don't mind. I mean, it's, it's no problem to me. I mean, you know, you can probably explain it in English, whereas yeah, I'll but, go into technical jargon. Okay, well, so in English, it means that a house that effectively you don't have to pay to heat because um, it's um, the net impact of its heating is that it, it retains enough of the heat that's generated within the bit within the footprint that you don't have to actually pay to heat it. That's pretty much it. There's versions of it, but that's pretty much it. I, so I the knew, answer I to, knew watching to all point, those Kevin McLeod programs was worth something have you oh excellent this is this is great ian ian you're training him well this is this is very very yes. good um the answer so lee yes um if we get to if we need a, if we get to a planning permission stage designing out crime is absolutely important i mean if you used to go around cannock lawn as i used to do when i was growing up then essentially that that was just designed with criminals in mind because it was so easy for criminals to move in and out we want to try and avoid that um Cy, thanks for that um, the answer is possibly. Um, passive House is, some, bear in mind, Britain's biggest Passive House project is in Somerstown. It's the refurbishment of Wilmcote House. It's called Enefit because that's the technical jargon for Passive House for refurbishments. But Britain's biggest Passive House project uh, is in Somerstown. So we've got a lot of experience with that. It's Wilmcote House. Um, I would like to see Passive House standards there, but we haven't made any strict commitments on that because Say, for instance, York, which is a Liberal Democrat authority where we've got Britain's biggest passive house programme of housing uh, estates. They're only delivering 40 percent affordable housing. Um, And we're very keen. And what we want to do is deliver most of the project as affordable housing. So we're very keen to make sure it's as green as possible. But we don't want to make commitments that will come unstuck later. So I would love to Mm. deliver it as a passive house level, Si. Um, but I can't make that commitment at the moment because we're going to make sure it's viable and we want to deliver 272 units of council housing. Those are our two red lines. But um, if we can, we will, Si. Excellent. Right. So, so two, two, uh, I was about to ask you what the magic number was. Uh, it, it's so 272. 200, roughly. Uh, uh, yeah, well, um, there may be a half in there somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So the £120 million pounds what does that work out as well cost of about forty thousand pounds well it's, yeah i mean it's 440 all in all but that would include the cost of the demolition as well mm. and as i said it's a ceiling we want yep. to try and get the cost down we want to try and make sure we can i mean we could we could blow up the towers without any problem but the truth is we've got hundreds of people who live within 50 to 100 yards of these blocks and I'm not jeopardizing their safety for that or getting them to move out. So we've got to basically deconstruct the blocks floor by floor very, very yep. slowly. They do. Um, our conservative colleagues have agreed to doing roughly the same in rugby. So um, they're a bit ahead of us. But and so it'd be something very similar to that. So we've got to make sure it's done safely. Um, and also, as I said, it's a ceiling because, as I said, we've got a, a viable scheme at the moment. We want to agree a ceiling so that we can work on it and try that would make absolute sense and and you know it, it's interesting you talk about um you, you talk about it obviously the no high-rise principle i guess my question is you know with the footprint that you've got you know ha- have you has somebody already done the the sort of 
sketch outline that, that shows that you can get that many properties in without having to go too tall? Um, yes, is the short answer. Um, bear in mind that their definition of not a tower block isn't anything that's three stories, for instance. They're, they're quite keen to go um, uh, from the consultation we've seen, something similar to Robert Peel House is something that they kept mentioned as something that's okay. Um, and that's on the site of the old Robert Peel pub. Um, mm. And that thing is around eight, nine, ten stories, something like that. Right. Um, so it's not as if it's all going to be houses. But also, yep. if you've been around there, then you know that things like, I mean, I, I remember in my mum's block that um, they actually gave up some of the green space for more car parking. Hmm. So the, the the block it's the blocks themselves are a bit bigger than you think because you you just look at the two tower blocks you don't look at the areas around it so hmm. it's a bit bigger than we it's a bit bigger than you think and as I said we think we can get it viable at four hundred and forty homes we want to make sure colleagues agree so we can actually test that out and and that's the next challenge uh, and again on a on a a week where we won't delve into it there's been a a spicy spat and finger pointing around green credentials with the clean air zone i covered it in my um column this week mm. um cars we've seen developments been approved in portsmouth where you can move into the flat or the house or the but you're not allowed to have a car what's what's the thinking for this development um that's one of the issues that we will talk to with with local residents um i think that's one of the, the things we've got to sort out later um to be honest mm. that really sounds evasive but I want to make sure it's done with local residents. I mean, with some developments, you're so near so many bus stops that it's simply pointless. I mean, a place like Arundel Street, for instance, is so near so many bus routes that it is quite feasible to, to have something that, that's car free or with minimal car parking spaces. There are other parts of the city where it won't happen. Um, so places like Hillsea, places like Drayton, um, it won't happen. With this one, I think it's one of the things that we'll need to talk with um, as we go forwards. But as an administration, we're very, very keen. We, we've we've all 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 councils put put this city into a climate emergency. Yeah. Um, they all voted for it. Um, and so one of the things we've got to do is to try and make sure we can do that. So I can't give you a straight answer at the moment, but it is an issue that we're going to have to work through with local people, Ian. Um, to follow that up briefly before we do actually make our way on to the next question because we've, we've we've um we've explored this one quite a bit which is which is good because it's a there's a there's a lot to unpick here but the thing to be um the thing that's worth kind of shouting out about you know you're discussing about if you have a development where you tell you know future occupants that they can't have a car you've got no way of enforcing that unless they're in a parking zone uh that's well you can you can do it there are there are schemes in london whereby actually mm. you you don't you don't park you're you're literally yeah. told as part of the agreement you can't park on the site yes the area around it is in a parking zone yeah so so so, so that is to you and, and with something like say kingston prison mm -hmm. everybody who's going to live in kingston prison can't park in the parking zone on milton road or baffins road or mm -hmm. bowler or dudley or douglas or wall douglas douglas dudley victor Bowler, Milton, Baffins, that parking zone. They can't park there because you can do it by postcode. So there are ways you can do it. But mm. Ian, Ian raises a good point. We do have to try and um, balance the need to make sure the development's as green as possible, whilst understanding that some of the people may actually want a car. Yeah, and some of them, for mobility reasons, might actually need one. 
you know. When, oh, yeah. And I think one of the things yeah. that the council has historically been bad at is actually providing homes for people with physical disabilities. And that's one of the things that we're trying to change. And we are changing. OK, Excellent. let's move. Let's move on. Um, I think we could probably spend an entire um, hour discussing this one, but I'm going to I, I think we're going to be spending at least an hour on Tuesday discussing this, uh, <laughs> so that's fine. You know? Only an hour yeah. discussing one subject at a full council meeting? Darren, you shock me. I'm, uh, I'm being optimistic. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd have a flask of tea and your sandwiches on standby, Darren. Um, <laughs> I, I do. It saves yeah, time. Um, we've, we've, uh, we've, we've had a shrew of the agenda before the, yeah. and think this, this one could go long. So, yeah. Do they, where, do they open you know, a book again, on how long they're going? It's going to take. Does anyone run yeah. a? I I always I I make bets and I always lose, so I'm saying nothing. Okay. Yeah. So another area where that there has been a bit of you know finger pointing from not from my team but from the other side of the chamber is that there were a number of council houses that we sold off recently, which seems at first glance to be utter madness. Is it utter madness? No. Um, okay, next question. We've, uh, uh, <laughs> no, see, I told no. you get straight answers here. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, so we've yeah, we've recently on. sold off eight homes out of fifteen thousand properties, and to put that into context, in the last fortnight, we've brought thirty empty pro- empty council properties back into use. So that's a context. Yeah. Um, but it, it uh, our Labour colleagues have have raised an interesting point, uh, a, a variant of which is actually quite true, which is how we actually deal with void and empty properties as a council now i'm 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 not going to go i don't not and i'm not going to to talk for my for our predecessors between 2014 and 2018 but one of the things that people kept telling us when uh, when we got back was well you know there are so many council properties are empty for so long uh, and literally i remember the morning after we got back i said to them okay loads of properties are too empty for too long and what are you going to do about it and they said, oh, OK, well, we're already doing stuff. So we've already cut the amount of time void uh, properties are void by a quarter. And that's good. Uh, that's a couple of weeks. So that's that's good. There are other properties, mainly sheltered housing properties that have been empty for years um, uh, when we got back. And so we said, OK, well, let's see if we can put other appropriate people in there. We've been able to do that. Mm. Um, but there are, as I said, eight um properties whereby they'd been acquired by the council so they were never built by the council and all of them had building defects some weren't although they may have been okay at the time they didn't meet the buildings the the sort of standards that we adopt for for council tenants so they would have to be done up and we were looking at spending millions of pounds and taking months if not years doing them up when instead we could have sold them so that we could get the money to buy more council houses and that's something i was very keen on so we've right. sold eight, but yep. we're looking at buying 10, 11, 12 as a result. And bear so, in mind, the context now is very different because we've hmm. said we want to buy council homes. We've bought 21 in this financial year, even during the pandemic, and we've got another 160 in the pipeline. Um, so it's not as if there's a significant reduction in council homes, but sometimes you just got to bite the bullet. I don't want to, and it's a last resort, but sometimes you just got to bite the bullet. Well, and I guess it's it's that does it make good economic sense? Because um, you know there's an element of you know people who are small professional property developers have the ability to be much more agile than a, a, a large unitary authority like PCC. Um, 
I'll, I'll bow down to your knowledge of, of private developers, uh, Ian. Um, some are good, some aren't. That, that's just how the industry whether, is. Whether, yeah, whether they're good or not, they, they, they at least are. There is an element that they have a burning platform. Don't they? Time, yeah, but I mean, time is money. We don't need to do it as a last resort. Mm. Uh, so we would ask people like adult social care, for instance, do you want to take this over? I mean, there's a council property in another part of the city which is being taken over by another um, charity organisation which is going to help with a, a particular issue that, that we're going to face very soon. Um, so, yeah, so it's only as a last resort, but sometimes you've just got to bite the bullet. But it is only as a last resort. And I'm very keen that at the end, we have more council homes at the end of this disposal process than we did at the start. That kind of seems like a, a clear metric. Um, we've got a couple of um, a couple of questions that have um, that come up on this one. So uh, Sai again is asking us, are the council buying back homes that would have been sold previously under right to buy? Yes interesting um and um and uh cal joins us to um to good evening the, brother cal to uh to ask um ask why the properties were allowed to fall into such poor states of repair in the first place uh uh cal is cal has very kindly asked me a question on a very similar subject uh, on tuesday uh and rather than the limited amount of time we've got left i'm more than happy to give him the long answer uh, but it is a question i have already asked more than once Okay, that's fine. So, shall we? Um, we're going to race on through. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, I guess on the on the back of that. So, okay, that seems like a really logical thing to do. You've got X number of. Obviously, the ideal position wouldn't would be that they didn't fall into into such yeah, a absolutely. state. You can't you totally. can't let them out. But it's better to get rid of duff properties and purchase. Um, more properties so you've got more homes for people to go into i guess you know that that seems a bit of a no-brainer to me if i'm honest so why doesn't pcc just build more homes well we are um okay. we uh next month um the place i know is south sea community center next door to where i used to live in st paul square will be uh lived in it'll be called albion house and that's 23 new homes for our homeless We've got planning permission for Doyle Avenue. Again, another site like South Sea Community Centre has been empty for years. Um, that's going through. We've got plans for Arundel Street, which are going through. We're looking at uh, ways in which we could develop the records office as well, which has proved to be quite controversial with some people in Old Portsmouth. Um, so we're looking to see how that can work. So we have plans. I mean, the, the, the question is a fair one, because when we resumed control, um, there was no plan. Uh, for new council homes so we've had to come up with one um, but and and we're going to do that not just because we're also a landowner in Havant as well as in Portsmouth and Havant also has problems so we're developing them both in in Portsmouth and in Havant as well um, but that's taken time to set up um, and we're going to go through that but the answer to the question is is yes but you can't just build your way out of the problem um, the city just isn't big enough to build your way out mm. of the problem. And that's why we've been quite aggressively buying, um, not just the sort of right to buy property size has been looking at. We've also agreed a, a, um, a strategy to, to buy empty private properties as well, um, because we're very we, we know the easiest thing to do is to buy existing properties rather than build them, because it takes ages to build a property. And, and the housing waiting list problem is now you can't wait two years. You can't just yeah. wait two years, I should say. And I guess that moves us on to uh, to, to to the interesting. You touched on the fact that um, 
you know one of your one of your remits is is to avoid homelessness and obviously during covid you know the 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 council was able to move people into hotel based accommodation and that there's now you know the the move into some of the student accommodation which obviously hasn't been you know filled in terms of a longer term strategy and there were some well published publicized issues around um, you know, around the Ibis Hotel and some of the challenges that they faced. What is the long-term strategy? And do you believe ending homelessness or rough sleeping is possible? Or, or is it a case of it, it's going it, to be a war that you will continually fight but never win? Um, I, think, I think, weirdly, the answer to both of your points, Ian, is yes. Um, I think it is possible, but I think it is going to be tough. Um, and I think what we've done is we've had a more balanced approach to to rough sleeping, uh, which is based around treating people as individuals and treating people as humans rather than as categories. So we know that there are some people for whom living in a hotel was just an utter nightmare and they didn't want to do it. Some some were removed from those hotels, some were back on the streets. So we've adopted a more balanced approach, which is to say, okay, we want to try and house as many people as we can. And we got 90% of the city's rough sleepers off the streets. But we also have, so one of the arguments, although government has been very good, I mean, we've had the seventh biggest funding allocation for rough sleeping in England. We got 90% of what we bid for, which is unheard of in local government. Um, And we're hoping to get money for longer term buying and building as well. But one of the things we've been arguing with government is to say, look, could you actually help us to try and stop homelessness in the first place? Because that's very, very important. So the biggest single reason people become homeless is because their private rented tenancies come to an end. Now, sometimes that's because the landlord wants the place back. And that may be real. or It may just be an excuse to get the tenants out. Often it's through rent arrears. So through an, through an approach which says, OK, well, let's look at the private rented sector as a whole. We want to try and see if we can stop as much of that as possible. Um, because you're right, Ian, it's it, it's not something that can just be done through one particular one particular club. If you're one mm. club golfer in this, you're going to fail. Um, and that's why we want to adopt an approach. And that's why I want to actually have um, capacity in the system so that we can actually deal not just with the rough sleepers we've got now, but also the people who we believe will be on the streets as a result of the increased unemployment that's going to come as a result of the furlough scheme ending and the increase in evictions because we know evictions are going to restart at some stage. And so we want to try and plan now to deal with them rather than just deal with the people we've got now. So it's a very fair point, Ian. No, and we did a fascinating episode a few weeks ago where we had a landlord on a private landlord whose uh, whose tenants basically stopped paying him last November. Yep. Um, you know, even though they're still in full time, one of them still in full time employment, and is just folding their arms and 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 refusing to play ball. So no, I, I think I think the challenge of any administration has always got to be about ensuring that the capacity is there. I, I guess that I guess the question is, and uh, and it's partly with the, the way in which I phrased it, is that you know for. For some people, it is an element of just needing a small leg up to, yep. to, to to get going. But then for some of the more, you know, people who are more challenged, that that is always going to be the, the, the balancing act in terms of, you know, the, the cost of intervention and the ability to 
help those people turn their lives around. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. So the approach we've done is actually based on that. We assessed every single person who was in the hotels. That was 200 people. Um, and many of them went into the private rented sector. Again, I know that was controversial because our Labour colleagues opposed that and they wanted to use council housing. Um, we, we said, no, we've got to, we want to use the private rented sector because we've got a long waiting list and we've got people we've got a legal duty to house. Shockingly, there is no legal duty to house any rough sleeper at all. That's nuts. Uh, we have a moral duty and we want to make sure that moral duty occurs. So we've put people who need probably just a leg up some financial support into the private rented sector so that we can spend more time with people who need more intensive support in the blocks that we've acquired and also we've put a few back into where we uh, had the old uh, day and night service as well mm. because we know different people are at different levels of support yeah. and that's why I'm also keen to see um, uh, rough sleepers in employment as well offering employment opportunities um, across the city because I think that's really crucial. There's um there's lots of I guess uh, that's another one. It's a very complex issue, isn't it? There are there are complex myriad of reasons why people may be in in those that in that sort of circumstance and what sort of assistance they need to uh you know to to you know to be able to to get back out of that um that cyclical yeah. situation. Um, but kind of following on, I'm I'm having to skip past some of the questions. Sorry, that are actually coming up in the comments because because actually we are you know that we're we're moving along at a bit of a pace. So apologies for not being able to field all of the all of the questions from from the room as it were. But the one we one of the ones that we had one was that. So why, you know, bearing all of that in mind, why is why is Portsmouth so short of the houses that that people can afford? Because developers seem to consistently keep being able to find places to develop and indeed a market for for the properties but why is there a why is there a shortage of 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 homes that actually people can afford uh market failure um i think the portsmouth housing market is a classic example of market failure you this is the second most densely populated part of britain only in the london is more densely populated so what you've got is you've got inelastic land because the land supply is fixed but you've got people who want to come here. You've got a, a significant student population that simply wasn't there when I was growing up in the 70s. But it's there now. And many people want to stay and they make a fantastic contribution to our, the, our city's economy. Absolutely brilliant. You've also got uh, you, you've also got people who are have low disposable income. So, but they're mainly they're, there's a lot of self-employed people. I mean, you've got chippies, brickies. Um, those sorts of people um, often who need a van because they want that that's the way they get around that's the way they work frankly that's their office um, so you've got all those people and essentially it's a seller's market um, in the city so people can charge what they like because they know that people want to do it that's market failure that's why we're very keen to not only uh, build homes but buy them back so that we can and that includes empty private properties as well if they're, if they're justifiable, so that we can actually get people um, into good quality accommodation that's affordable. That's why in the private rented sector, we're also offering deals uh, to landlords, which says, look, we'll do some of your bureaucracy and in exchange, you cut your rents, uh, which is an expansion of the rent rights scheme. So um, I agree, it's a real issue, but it's market failure oh and by the way we're being told by central government look could you build 200 more homes a year than the city can theoretically cope with please or else we'll take over your planning department that is simply nuts 
um, and central government telling local authorities what to do, as we've seen with the COVID crisis, doesn't end well. And I'm being polite, Ian. <laughs> and I think, uh, I, and again, look, when it comes to housing, um, I, I, I am perhaps this is where I my my this is my Achilles heel in terms of being true blue and conservative, because there is an element of, you know, it, it, it seems madness to me that the council, you know, are having to pay housing benefit at commercial levels, you know, uh, to to private landlords when. You know, to borrow the money to purchase the house, you know, it is going to be significantly cheaper than paying out, um, you know, housing benefit into the pockets of private landlords. So I, I guess the question then is that, you know, what is, what is, as the housing cabinet member, what is your hope for Portsmouth? Obviously, we've all been waiting for the Tipner development to be the, the, the great saviour, um, but that seems to have rumbled on for more years than I care to remember. What, what's the hope for, for for really turning the dial on this one? I, I think the hope is to, I mean, Tip, Tipner's a very good example uh, um, of market failure. I mean, we agreed at the Cabinet this week some, some imaginative proposals for Tipner West, because we could which we want to turn into an eco-village. And that's been, as you say, that's been going on for years. Um, the weirdest thing was to actually have the Tipner Regeneration Company, which has been overseeing Tipner East, which is the area around by the old dog track, uh, emerge from hibernation of several years to say, oh, by the way, don't do the park and ride, uh, which has been very frustrating. Um, I mean, we said to Homes England, look, we'll take on Tipner East, we can do this. And Homes England said, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Um, and that's meant a delay of years frankly. Mm. Um, and I think that's not fair on anybody. So I think having a team being able to take forward developments is great. And we've now got that. Um, having a plan to build some homes is also very good. And we've got that. But also recognising you can't build your way out of the situation. You're going to try and take the opportunities where you can. Um, and that's why we're also buying homes. And I said, we've got 160 homes in the pipeline, um, which is an astonishing statistic. Um, we've bought more homes in 12 months than in the previous three years put together uh, because we know you can't just build your way out of the crisis. Um, and I think that and one of the interesting things actually around housing Ian, is that there's a high level of consensus between all the groups um, yes. across the council. And I think that's very, very impressive. There's not the argument around council bad private good that exists elsewhere. Uh, and I think it, there's, there's differences over policies, and that's understandable. Uh, but there's a very good consensus across the council, and actually, that's that's really really helpful because it matters to everyone. In, interesting, well, you I say that, that Cal comments so, uh, that um, we're all socialists when it comes to housing policy. He did list an exception, but I, I won't repeat it without knowing. Um, oh, but, well, um, uh, well, I would, let's hold on. I'm not pre quite prepared to go that far. <laughs> um, well, I think the trouble is <laughs> the trouble is with no, but I, I I mean I I I agree and I don't agree with 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 cal on this um in that actually in terms of the idea of a strong council housing and the idea that council housing is actually very very good um that's actually true but i think there's there's a difference in that certainly i'm interested in having not having sort of commander control from london which has been very often part of the state socialist approach uh, but actually local initiative local enthusiasm and locally driven 
ideas coming up from the bottom rather than being told by the state what to do. But I, I, I object to sort of the, you know, London knows best or middle class architects know best. Indeed. Um, so I, I think, to be fair, one of the questions that we had next, you, you've kind of pretty much kind of covered it, which is um, why in some respects do we have too many houses? You've kind of talked about the draw of, of, of people um, coming here to, you know, to uh, continue their lives and their careers um, and contribute to the society here. But... Um, you know, you, we've talked a lot there about what the council's doing about and also about um, private developers. It seems that, you know, from my cursory look at planning applications, quite often what you what you see quoted in the press is examples where the developer will say, well, I can't afford to deliver X number of yeah. socially affordable homes in this property because um, it will make it unviable. And they keep, you know, referring to that. And, and I understand the, the, you know, the, the, policy situation sorry not the the administrative situation that means that councils are are you know kind of quite powerless in order to try and force them to do that but if if private developers are saying we can't afford to do it then why doesn't the, why doesn't the council call their bluff and say right screw it we'll start our own developer and we'll build the site well we have um so there's a development there's a, an organization called ravelin housing which frankly was knocking around the concept which was knocking around when i did this gig first time in 2013 and it's something our conservative colleagues developed um but there seemed to be some sort of hiatus uh, i think partly because government said look don't do that um uh but we've taken it on and we're taking it forward so ravelin is the is the developer behind um uh, behind arundel street um, and it's something we want to use as a tool in the box because we reckon, I mean, uh, if you take Norwich, for instance, so Norwich had a Turner Prize winning council estate. Absolutely fantastic. Really, really good. Want to borrow some of the ideas for use in Somerstown. Um, but it also had in Rain Park a mainly private estate because that's how the money happened. That's how it, that's how the figures added up. Um, so you've got to be you've got to be balanced and whether it's a joint venture with a private developer um, or whether it's through Ravelin, we want to try and make sure we have as many tools in, in the box um, because that way you can remove things like right to buy if necessary. Yeah, and, and it, it's, as we've been talking, I've been playing with a spreadsheet because I love to do that. And, and it, it seems that if the council can borrow money at a reasonably favourable rate, I mean, I've just quickly done the sums on your you know 120 million is a worst case scenario so as build cost of each of those is 272,000 but if we assume that the the interest on that that loan it, it would actually make the the effective rents of those properties you know way below what what is being charged commercially out there at the moment so it, it almost seems like the if we come around to Horatio and the Leamington House, it's forced the council's hand to intervene. But it looks on paper like that's an in, you know, that's an intervention that just makes really good sound fiscal sense for the council. Yes, uh, I mean the borrowing period is sixty years, so it's longer than it, w it would be normally. Hmm. Um, uh, and I'm I'm very happy with that because I think we need to be more flexible rather than just be constrained by historic. Well, we're always going to do 30 years because that's what we've always done. Hmm. Um, but to me, it's logical. But also, it's the chance to make make people's lives better. I said I want yep. people to come to this area. Then, and this area has had more plans than you could shake a stick at. Most of which haven't been delivered. 
Um, and I'm, I'm keen to make sure that we've got something that's viable, uh, something that works, something local people are happy with, and something that's, something that's not dreamt up by middle-class architects. Um, but also something that is that, that in the block that was known as the Racia House had to leave twice in 15 years. That is not good. Uh, and I want to try and make sure it's as, it's as good as possible. And ideally, the council homes as good as the private ones, because they should be. And I think on that bombshell, Darren, we'd like to thank you for coming on board. Uh, it's no been trouble. A, it's been an excellent discussion. So you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And our guest has been... Uh, Darren Sanders. Good night. Uh, and I've been Simon Sansbury.